0: Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Arrow Beach. Uh, tonight I'm going to preach a message uh, out of James chapter 1. Okay, It's a message that uh, I originally preached to our youth ministry, but I feel like it's kind of the thing that impacted our youth ministry the most this year. The thing that um, I felt our most challenged and a lot of our students felt the most challenged in as well. Uh, so we're talking about James chapter 1 tonight. We're going to read... Just verses 2 through 8, just six verses tonight. But I really feel like tonight God wants to speak to every person that's in here. Uh, How many of my friends were at camp this week? Raise your hand if you're at camp. Come on. Uh, I love love this season because so many times in my youth ministries, you know, we've had these camp moments where God really speaks to us and it's powerful and it's amazing. And we love those environments. But what I love about God is that God is able to show up and touch your life in every single moment that you're in. The church I got saved in was a church uh, called, as a four-square church. And every four-square church has this one scripture. It was the first scripture I ever memorized, Hebrews thirteen eight, written on the wall. It's Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And every time I think about that verse, it reminds me that those moments we had at camp or at conference, these altar moments where God gets a hold of us and we, get encounter, we encounter God and it's powerful, those can happen right here. At youth on, on Thursday nights, they can happen in your bedroom, in your school, in your classroom, in your car on the way home tonight with your, with your friends. That's who God is. And so tonight, uh, what I believe is that God wants to speak to you. I believe God uh, wouldn't have brought me here, wouldn't have driven me, you know, two and a half hours or two hours to be here tonight if God didn't have a word for you, okay. So uh, we're going to read this out of the book of James tonight. And the title of my message, if you're taking notes tonight, is Close Friends, Okay. Now, yes, I do mean that close friend story that you have on Instagram that your youth pastor doesn't know about, the green one, right, like that your parents maybe don't know about. And tonight we're going to be talking about identity. Now, identity is a a specific subject that I think young people right now in our world and probably always, but especially what I've observed as a youth pastor, are battling and trying to understand more than ever, I'll tell you even deeper than that, there's like a full-on war against identity in our culture. Just like truly, the world wants to try to make you believe that it's impossible for you to understand your identity, that it's impossible for you to have any kind of solid rock, absolute truth, but can I just tell you tonight, that's like the last thing that God believes about identity. Actually, like in an unstable world, Our God is a solid rock. In an unstable world, Christ gives us a firm foundation to build our lives upon. And so tonight I'm just going to read two verses as we begin here, starting in verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I'll read one more. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete." needing nothing. Let's pray one last time tonight with the preaching of God's word. God, I thank you so much tonight that your word is alive and well. God, it's speaking to us. It's doing what it always does. God, would is just give us an on-time, in-season word for what we're going through today. So we ask that you would speak to us out of your word tonight. Holy Spirit, do it only you can do tonight. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, what I've learned a lot, I've been a youth pastor now for eight years. And can I just tell you what I've observed about high schoolers and middle schoolers more than anything during this time of year. You guys may have experienced this before. But how you can leave school like one year in May and then come back in August. And it's like people look sound, act, completely different than they did like at the end of the school year, right? If you haven't experienced this yet, maybe you're just getting into school, I promise you it's coming, okay? It's called puberty, it's wild, okay? Uh, but I remember when I was in high school, uh, we, I think it was between my freshman and sophomore year, I had, I had a close group of friends, kind of hung out with the same guys and girls through my high school years. But we had this one guy in our friend group whose name was Nick, okay? Now, Nick was the guy that like girls said was cute but like not in the way you want to get called cute, right? Like everyone you know like, oh, he's cute. Like that's not I don't want you to say I'm cute like that. Like that's not what I wanted. Nick was that guy and so I remember he was like the funny guy, like had made everybody laugh. He was kind of like shorter, just like kind of funny, goofy kid and I remember when we came back for our sophomore year, people started like it almost was like there was like this buzz. Like I felt like in first period people were like, "Oh my gosh, have you seen Nick?" I'm like no, I haven't seen Nick. Have you seen Nick? Like, I don't I'll see him at lunch. I don't know. And the second period was the same. Have you guys seen Nick? Have you seen Nick? And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, no, I have not seen Nick. And then I started noticing, like, girls were saying, have you seen Nick? And I was, then my, my attention was turned. I said, why are they asking, have you seen Nick? I mean, like, this is something else going on right now. And then I'll never forget, it was like right period before lunch, the girl that I liked said, oh, have you seen Nick? I said, excuse me? I said, now it's, now we're, what do you mean? Have I seen Nick? I'll never forget. We walked into our cafeteria and it was like, it felt like it was like a high school movie, like high school movie. The doors like burst open. My friends and I sat at like one lunch table. You know, you have like your lunch table. We like claimed it from day one of school. And I look across the cafeteria and Nick, new and improved, walked in, okay? Like walked in these doors. Like I knew it was for real because he was carrying one of those like gallon milk jugs of water, right? Everyone pointed at someone and looked at someone. I said, that's a high school thing. I looked at him. I knew it was for real. I was like, Nick had a tan. Nick was carrying this water jug. Nick had grown like five inches, I felt like, this summer. Not just that. It appeared that Nick had found the weight room over the summer. Okay? Maybe not just that. I think Nick might have found creatine over the summer, right? Like that's... And I remember it was like everything changed. Like when we graduated high school, this guy, he like joined the football team. He became this like popular kid. And, and I remember having this thing of, being, like, man, that guy is completely different. Like everything has changed. Everything is different. Can I tell you tonight, our world and, and our culture has a really deep misunderstanding of what identity actually means. When we think of identity, we think of some really superficial things down to the way we look or maybe the the things that we're into, the sports we play, the activities we do. Sometimes it's deeper things. We think of like the race that we are, the ethnicity that we are, the family that we come from. All of those things can be good things in your life, and yet none of them are supposed to be what your identity is built upon. Like like what God does not desire for our lives is for us to build our lives and our identities on superficial, movable, changeable things. So when we come into church environments like this, here's the thing. It's true for every single person. It's true for me and Pastor Nate and and everyone in this room. There's the version of our lives that we're we're trying to be and, again, we're trying to aspire to be. And it's like I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good pastor. And then following not too far behind it is the version of me who I really am the version that maybe not everyone sees all the time, the version that I'm trying to work my salvation out, I'm trying to work out God's grace in my life. And can I tell you tonight, my goal for your life is not for you to make those things the exact same thing. Although that is like the dream, the Bible says that that won't happen this side of heaven. Paul says in Philippians that I'm convinced that God will complete his good work on the day of salvation. Our goal tonight at Factory Youth is that those things would come as close together as they possibly can be meaning I'm not striving for perfection. I'm not ever going to reach this side of heaven exactly the identity that God's created me to have. But my goal is the more I can move that together of God, this is who I dream of being, who you see me as, who you've called me to be. This is the me that I'm not proud of, but God, I'm gonna bring it to you. I'm gonna talk to my leader tonight because hopefully we're going to move those things closer. And tonight, my only, I only preach one-point messages. It's just a thing at our church and it's the thing that I do as well. And it's this, my identity, not just mine, yours too, is that I'm a child of God. It may seem like a basic kids ministry simple point, but can I tell you, in the world that we live in, you making a stand and saying what my identity is built on is specifically the fact that I'm a son or daughter of God will make you unique in a world that does not feel that way. You will stand out in your school, on your sports team, in your family, simply by saying it's not my sexuality that's my identity. It's not my ethnicity, it's my identity. It's not my race that's my identity. It's not the people I hang out with in school. It's the fact that I'm a son or daughter of the Most High God. And tonight, that's our goal in life. That's what James, and so we're reading this passage out of the book of James. And I love the book of James because James is an intense dude. Like, the book of James, James will say stuff like, without works, your faith is dead. Like, he's a really chill guy from what it seems like reading this book. But... He begins his, his letter, he begins his book by talking about these things. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. What a thing to make us stand out in the world that when troubles come, we would actually respond with joy. It's the opposite. Not, no one in here naturally, when hard times come, you're like, thank God. It's what I've been looking for, a trial. Thank you. Can you imagine if we actually lived our lives that way? Like, you go to show up to school, I failed a class. That's right I did. So I was looking for that F this year. You show up, you don't make the sport, you try out, you like work hard all summer to make a team, and then you get put on JV, and you're like, I wanted to be on JV my senior year. That's what I was looking for. Get broken up with, and you're like, thank God, opportunity for joy Nobody lives their life that way. That's not how we process emotion. That's how we process things. But James says, for people that follow God, we are to consider it an opportunity for great joy when trials and when sorrows come. And here's why he says that. It goes on to verse 4. It says, so let it grow because it will give your endurance a chance to grow. And if you let it grow, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I looked for a long time while writing this message if I could find one other place in the Bible where it describes you being perfect. And I could not find one. And I read the Bible a lot. James says that if endurance is developed in your life, perfection will be the result. What a crazy idea for us to be able to say, I'm going to be perfect. The fullness of my life, I'll be complete, needing nothing if I can learn how to endure. I tell you, in a world that we live in right now, you're gonna need to learn how to endure. I wish that by coming to youth tonight, you got a stamp on your hand and it suddenly made life trial free, but I'm not stupid enough to think that. Trials come, Bible says, on the just and the unjust alike, rain falls. There's believers that are full of God's spirit, that love God's house, that are going to heaven, that don't overcome sickness, that are not free of tragedy. But our promise is from Jesus That Jesus says, in this world you will face many trials, but take heart. I've overcome the world. That's the endurance that James is talking about. And he continues on, verse 5. He says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. See, James, throughout his letter, identified wisdom as the fullness of God. So what James is saying is, hey, if you ask God to give himself all of you, he will not rebuke you for asking. That's good news for us. Tonight, when we're singing about a song like the songs we sang tonight and say, God, I want more of you. God, bring me back to life. James says that when you ask God for that, he's not going to rebuke you or correct you or say, no, I'm not going to give you that. He says our God will generously give you his fullness. Continues on. And these are the verses that we're going to really camp out in as we kind of wrap up my part of the teaching and get ready for small group time. I'm gonna focus on these three verses. James 1.6, he says this, but when you ask him, meaning God, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. And this is where the, the passage starts to get really interesting. He says, such people with divided loyalty like that should not expect to receive anything from God. So this is where we ended up. This is where we end up as people. Um, what I've learned in my life is that divided identity is always birthed through divided loyalty. So, uh, simple question tonight that, I, that I'll begin this part of the message with. And it's this, is like, what are you worshiping with your life? Now, if you're like me, when someone asks me that question, I'm like, well... The only time I really worship is at this church, so the songs we sang, John, I'm worshiping the same thing you are. Like That's that's what I'm worshiping. But the definition of worship that I found when I was preparing this message actually takes worship to a deeper level. What worship actually is a better definition is anything that I give my attention, my focus on, that I expect to save me in my time of need we open up worship to that definition, can I just tell you, you and I are good at worshiping a lot of other things besides God. Simple test for us, and I'll give myself the test tonight, is that if I walked out and there was an unexpected email I got that was a bill saying, hey, you owe this much money, is the place that I go to my knees to pray to God, or is it my Bank of America app? As, if I can just be real with you tonight, again, I feel like family A lot of times where I find myself is expecting my bank account to save me in my time of need. Maybe tonight you're in here and you believe that, like, the college you get into is going to be the thing that enables you to have a blessed life. Now, I'm not here to say that college is bad. We want you to succeed. We want you to focus on academics. That's a good thing. But kind of say, I don't care if you're planning on going to Harvard. It is God that is going to make your life abundant. When we worship education in that way and say, the only way I'm going to be successful, God, is if I get into that school, we have placed education in a, in a place of worship in our lives. Here's the one that happens all the time in my youth ministry. I'll talk to young people. I'll talk to guys in, the, in my small group, and I'll ask them. I'll say, hey, are you still with that girl? And you've been talking about it for like a month, man, about how bad you need to break up with this person. And, and we've all been there, right? And we're having these conversations, and they'll be like, yeah, Like, I want to break up with her, but I just can't imagine my life without her. Suddenly, we start to realize, God, I'm actually worshiping a lot of different things. God, I've given my heart, I've given my attention, I've given my focus and expected a savior from a lot of different things in my life. And the truth is this. There can be good things in our life. There can be things that you aspire for, goals that you're going for, but they make terrible gods. They make terrible gods for us to give our lives to. But when our loyalty is divided, that's when our identity begins to be divided. Suddenly we're saying, God I, it's it's Jesus and my education. It's Jesus and my relationship. It's Jesus and my friendships. It's Jesus and my partnerships. And anytime we are adding an and to that statement, we have begun to have a process of divided loyalty. See, a scholar that I read said it like this, you are not what you do in this world, you are what you love in this world. James tells us, again, I told you it was intense. He says, if you have divided loyalty, he says, you are as unstable as a wave in the sea that is rolling around, tossed to and fro by the wind in the waves. And then he says, people that are living life like that with divided loyalty should not expect to receive anything from God. Can I tell you in my life, I want to be able to pray to God and receive things from him. I want to be able to pray to God in my time of need and where I need joy, where I need help, where I need comfort, where I need someone in my family to be healed or healing in my own life, where I need joy. Where I need something to happen, I need to get into a school, I need a new job, I need financial provision. And James says the number one thing that will make that happen is deciding that it's God who's going to provide it, not the world. (laughs) God is the only thing in our lives worth worshiping, worth praising, worth trusting. And then this last verse tonight is probably the whole reason why I wrote this message when I read this passage in our devotions so their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. M- my friends, like tonight, can I just tell you if your loyalty is divided, if your identity is divided, instability will be the result. And and I know you don't know me that well. Like I know I'm I know I'm brand new. I know I I only met a few of you in the lobby because we got here like pretty much right on time for the session tonight. But can I just like Maybe it's just me here. Like, mean, This is the only reason why I came here tonight. Are, are you tired of being unstable? Like truly, are are you tired of being unstable in life? I know we come to church environments, we come to these moments, and everything's all good. Pumped to be here, Pastor Nate. Love it. Love you. It's sick. But, but like, God brought me here, and I just want to ask you, like, are you, are you tired of, like, being unstable, of waking up, crying those tears that nobody else knows about, but God absolutely knows about? I learned this lesson early on in youth ministry that people's outside appearance are a terrible litmus test for whether or not there's instability going on in their life. <laughs> I remember talking to a young man in our youth ministry, and I felt like God gave me a word for him. We were having this worship moment in one of our services I felt like God told me to go up and talk to him and ask him how he was doing. And right away, looking at this young man, this was like, a, he was one of those guys in our high school that was like football player. He had like a scholarship already. He always showed up to youth with like 10, 15 friends. Looked like he had everything together. And I told God like three times, I was like, God, I'm not talking to him. He's doing better than me. Like, like I'm not talking to him. Like, He's fine. God said, go up and talk to him. Go up and talk to him. I'll never forget for the rest of my life walking up to this young man, his name was Kyle, and saying, hey, dude, I know this is random. I may, I'm expecting to be humiliated and him look back at me and be like, nah, dude, my life is good. And I walked, I was like, hey, dude, are you doing okay? So yeah, 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 I'm good, man, I'm good. Sometimes you have to ask a second time. No, like, how are you really doing? Oh, yeah, good. But then he's kind of weirded out. He's like, why'd you ask me again? Like, no, man, like, What's really going on in your world? And this 6'3", senior guy in high school starts breaking down and crying, talking about what's going on in his home, talking about what's going on in his friendships and his relationships, talking about what's going on in his family. And I just began to realize in that moment, all of us in here are struggling. All of us in here are walking through things. But the thing is, is that God has a very difficult time beginning to heal something that you are desperately trying to conceal. Sin is dangerous when it's secret, not when it's in the light. Grace and the cross, what Jesus did, immediately covers sin. But the problem is we have a part to play in that of repenting and bringing it to God. And you're not doing yourself any favors by walking in here and saying, oh, I'm good, I've got everything figured out, I don't need to respond in group tonight. Everything's good, John, it's all good. God wants to begin a healing process tonight. James says, people that have divided loyalty between God and the world are unstable in everything that they do. I'm gonna invite the band up as as we kind of get ready to wrap this message up and go into the next part of our night. The thing that I've learned in my life is that God has a really hard time. Not really God has a hard time, but God doesn't bless me that I'm pretending to be, right? I know these moments when we invite bands up, it's like, and starts looking, distracted, just catch my eye for a minute, okay, we're getting ready to wrap up this service tonight and go into our group time. Um, my daughter, that little, almost two-year-old Tasmanian devil named Ava, um, has taught me more about God than I ever thought she was going to, like truly. I know everybody told me, that, like, your kids are going to teach you a bunch about God, and I was like, whatever. <laughs> I don't really know that, but the more I go in life, the more I realize, like, just how much this kid will teach me about God. And you want to know the number one reason why? Like, truly the number one reason why is because my daughter is incapable, like, mentally of stressing out and worrying and fearing the things that I'm worried about. Like, truly. She does not have the brain power to be stressed about mortgages and future jobs you know what my daughter's really into right now? Whales. <laughs> I don't know how. She's never seen a whale before. We don't, we're not like anti-sea world. I don't go to sea world. She's never seen a whale before. But one day she goes, "John, Daddy, I want to see whales. And I'm having to like YouTube whales. And, and I'm watching whale documentaries. Learned a lot about whales. You know what my daughter's really into right now? Her Crocs. My mother-in-law bought her Crocs, and I have to hide these things. If she even sees them, Crocs, Daddy Crocs, put Crocs on. Put Crocs on. Daddy, Daddy Crocs, put Crocs on. I'm like, I hear you. Like, let me find them. You know what daughter's really into right now? Blueberries. I'm like, Ava, you got to pick a new berry. Inflation, these are expensive berries right now, okay? <laughs> these are the things that she's concerned about, the things she's worried about and scared about. One of the most profound moments that I had with God this year was sitting in my living room. My daughter was running around playing with blocks, and I I was just looking at her. And someone that day at church had, had walked up to me and been like, man, your daughter is, she's so quiet and she's so shy. And I'm like, what kid are you talking about? Like, my daughter is the opposite of both of those things. But they had seen her in a loud, like our loud church lobby. It's like that lobby makes me feel anxious. So, of course, it makes my daughter feel anxious. And I was sitting there looking. I'm like, that's hilarious. I'm like, this guy doesn't even know who my kid is. I was sitting in my living room. And God, one of the clearest ways he spoke to me this entire year, he said, John, the same way you know Ava is how well I know you. He said, John, I know the things that stress you out. I know the real you. I know the you that you try to pretend to be, to, like, look like you have it all together and look like the successful pastor. And then I know the things that, like, stress you out when you're up at night. I know the things that make you sad, that make you happy, and everything in between. And tonight, the reason why I think a passage like this is so important in our lives is because you have to understand it is not the world that knows the real version of you. It's not a textbook from a psychologist or a sociologist that is saying, yes, this is who you are. It's the God of the universe that revealed himself in his son Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that came and became the living word which we have in the Bible, the Holy Spirit that descended upon the believers and now is God walking with us and living inside of me. That is who defines my identity. I'm not looking to what the latest trend is to say, this is what men are in 2022. I'm looking to scripture to say, God, who do you say that I am? Because if you say that there's such a thing as me being able to stand on absolute truth, then there is. If you say that I'm your son, then that's what it is. If you say that I'm called then I have a call of God on my life. If you say you have plans to prosper me and not bring harm to me, then that is my inheritance and that is my future. If you say that by your stripes, I am washed clean and healed, then yes, when I accept your sacrifice on the cross, I am healed and made clean. If you say that I do not have to be bound by anxiety and depression in a restless mind, Then I stand firm on what you say. But it begins with the foundation that says, God, if you say I'm your son or your daughter, everything of my life flows from that fact. In a world that would try to tell you you should be confused, anxious, scared, unknowing, impossible to stand on anything firm, God says, you can build your life upon me. I'm a foundation that doesn't shake, that endures through the ages. I think God just wants to remind some of his kids that he sees it all, he knows it all, he's redeemed it all. and Everything in your life can be built upon that.